Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. Each episode we're going to dive in. We're going to talk about different horror from well-known classics to the obscure rarity that you find in the back of your video store. This week we will be doing the titular Slumber, The Slumber Party Massacre. Yeah, folks, (laughs) uh, this is a special one. Um, This is a film that uh, largely flies under the radar by comparison to a lot of other slashers of the golden age of slasher films, but it is deserving of so much more attention, and we're yeah. going to give it every bit of that right now. this was the whole reason we decided to do a podcast, Yeah, even based on the name. And let's, let's get one thing. Uh, I want to get one thing open right now. This is our first episode. We wanted to do it on this movie. The podcast is named after this movie. Uh, we have already recorded this episode, and it is, after editing it, was still two hours long, which is not what we're going for. We're just very passionate about this movie. So I wanted to be very clear. This is a re-recording of uh, this movie. Uh, maybe someday we'll release that two-hour beast. But for right now, you know, we've retooled the format a little bit, and I think we're very comfortable with uh, with how it's going to go. Right. If you really like this movie and you really love us, then you'll like the two-hour yeah. version. And I should say also, <laughs> this is not our – yes, this is uh, – chronologically, this is our first episode. This is like the third one. We've now recorded a couple <laughs> in the new format and are going back because we didn't want to do it back-to-back come in a little more fresh than just like we just talked about it so anyway that's us being honest with you (laughs) right yeah so let's let's try this again ladies and gentlemen the slumber party massacre yeah thank you for joining us in the inaugural episode (laughs) (laughs) yes anyway timmy were you a slumber party guy did you like slumber parties absolutely um it was something that i would say for me started in excess probably right around sixth grade now we were spending the night at each other's houses in in third grade maybe for a birthday party you know fourth grade fifth grade but really when we hit those middle school years i'm not exaggerating it was probably if it wasn't every weekend it was every other weekend and a huge part of those slumber parties was walking down to the local video store and spending hours, literally hours, yeah. picking out and uh, examining and deciding on which like stack of movies we were going to watch. It wasn't just one. I mean, we walked out of there with at least six or seven movies. Uh, maybe we watched all of them. Maybe we didn't. But horror films and slumber parties go hand in hand for me. And that's what makes my connection to this the movie so personal. Yeah, yeah. I loved a, I loved a good sleepover. Yeah, you know what's what's great about a sleepover is what's great about a lot of teen films or uh, teen shows. Everything from cartoons to uh, comic books to movies. It's always best when the parental element is extracted. Okay, Scooby Doo is fun not because their parents are around, right? <laughs> right, right? It's because it's just them. Or iCarly, okay, here's a more recent, you know, popular show. The dad, the, the mom... We have kids. Everybody. Yeah, by the way, yeah. <laughs> the mom is, is never really brought up. The dad is off in some, you know, on 
military expedition. And so it's just the kids left to their own devices. This is a great, great setting for for film because it takes away um, that that parental influence. It takes away that element of safety. And it's just kids left up to their own devices. And that's that's really, you know, just in, in my own personal experience with slumber parties, that's what's made it so great is that the parents would, you know, order the pizza, you know, make sure we were all kind of settled in. And then they'd just retreat back to whatever room they, you know, hung out in and, right. and um, sort of just hunkered down in. And it really felt like as a kid, the closest thing that you could get to being an adult at that age. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've not only as like a, a personal experience of being at a slumber party and that enhanced sort of excitement and danger of uh, just being, you know, it being you and your buddies and no parents around. But here we are. And you watching... kind of know they're going to leave you alone. So oh, yeah. it's like they like uh, non-verbally are giving you permission to, you know. Act like adults, all right, guys. Right, and we absolutely try and find that stuff you're not supposed to find. <laughs> right, and all we did was exactly what we were supposed to do. Yeah, and and a lot of that involved watching movies that had, you know, in retrospect, I have no regrets. But literally, for whatever age we were at that point, I don't know. Let's let's call it eleven, maybe mm-hmm. eleven, twelve. Yeah. We were, you know, sort of introduced to things that were way beyond that you know, amount of years of, of comprehension. Um, but, uh, but Hey, I mean, that's, that's what made it so fun. I mean, we, we wanted the, we wanted the blood, we wanted the boobs, we wanted the, the, the marijuana smoking. We wanted all of that wild craziness that slashers had to offer. And what better slasher to encapsulate all of that than one that is actually featuring a slumber party in and of itself. Right. So, you know, Long story short here, we're talking about just a marriage of of perfect elements to connect to a a teen or preteen experience of um, getting that little taste of adulthood, that little element of excitement, of danger, and uh, and that's what this movie brings you, along with a truckload of nudity. <laughs> Absolute nonstop nudity, which brings us to one of the more interesting backstories uh, of a film really ever and that is a movie that that showcases so much nudity and um and so so often that you'd have to look at it or at least most people would look at it as a exploitive yeah but it's never sexual in this movie it isn't and interestingly enough for those of you who who aren't aware this film was originally penned by a celebrated and prolific feminist by the name of Rita Mae Brown. And so, as the story goes, Rita Mae Brown wrote this film, uh, originally entitled uh, Sleepless Nights, as a send-up or a satire of the slasher genre. Because this movie came out in 82, so you're already well into, you know, what's described as the golden age of slasher films, 1978 to 1984. So... The, the public is already well indoctrinated into this formula. Yeah. And this is about the time there should be a popular parody of slasher movies. Right. Now, as fate would have it, it doesn't make it onto the screen as, a, as an obvious send-up or parody of the genre because it's picked up 
by a very earnest, young, uh, but successful editor. And this is, uh, is someone who, like, is, is so often in, um, in Hollywood, you hear this phrase, but what I really want to do is direct. <laughs> so you've got this young editor by the name of Amy Holden Jones, who is, is already found success as an editor in Hollywood. Um, actually passes up a little movie by the name of E.T. Yeah. What did she work on? There was a big movie she worked on before this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I can't remember now. No. but It, but it was yeah. like Taxi Driver or something. Right. Yeah, no, was it Taxi I think, Driver? I think it was okay. Taxi Driver, right. yeah. So, so this is a person who is doing very well for themselves, probably could have just continued as an editor and, and had great success in Hollywood. But uh, like I said, she really wanted to direct. So... Somebody hooked her up with uh, Roger Corman. For those of you who don't know who Roger Corman is, is a figure uh, for multiple decades in Hollywood who is a uh, a well-connected and respected filmmaker, but at the same time a guy who just had an insatiable just appetite for smut. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For, you know... Just anything that was considered, as they call it, genre filmmaking. So um, he, he liked it. He liked it hot. He liked it cheap. He liked it dirty. And that's just who Roger Corman yeah. was. But he gave a lot of the people. The guy had a fetish, and it was just legal enough that he could do it all the time. <laughs> right. And it's on full display here because you've got Amy Holden Jones being given an opportunity to direct this movie. What actually what she did was... She showed some real initiative by saying, okay, I'm going to film the first three scenes of this movie, and then I'm going to show it to him and see what he thinks. So she, on her own, with her cinematographer husband, uh, rent the equipment, film the first three scenes of this movie, of this script that, that she just found laying around called Sleepless Nights. She films it. She shows it to Corman. Corman says, what did you make this for? You know, how much money did you spend? I think it was, what, $1,000? Uh, yeah, something very low. Th- very, very low amount of money. And uh, his response is, I think you've got a big future in this business. You know, because that's the way he liked it done. Yeah. So his, his insistence, though, uh, on getting the, the movie made was that it was done not with a satirical tone, but that it be played straight, which is to all of our benefits. Because what you get is this weird alchemy of a movie that is... Silly in some regards, but genuinely terrifying and affecting in in others. Yeah. I don't know how much – I'm curious how much the script was altered because if this was uh, close to the original parody, it is not. No. (laughs) Like it's not funny. There are funny moments. (laughs) But one – like there's a part of me that thinks they were like, "Uh, we'll do this, but it is not – not doing a comedy right it's kind of funny you know and you know i'm i'm not going to make any judgments on on feminists at all but uh you know a great setup if, if you were if you were going to pick a person who maybe set out to write a comedy and it just didn't come off as very funny like maybe that's the source um <laughs> that it would come from uh but no no it's it's great the the, the truth of it is folks is that as as seemingly non-feminist as this movie is with all of its rampant nudity and silliness, it actually does shine through with a lot of very genuine feminist qualities as far as 
the stronger characters being women. Yeah. Um, the men being just sort of hapless goofs, yeah. you know? So I, I think that that feminist ideology... All the professions I, are done by women. Right, right, absolutely. Now, and, and now it, I want to make this point clear because if somebody, you know, is listening to this and they say, oh, I wonder what he means by that. Why, why can't a woman be a carpenter? Well, I'm telling you, this is 1982, and it yeah. was different. It was very much different. So if and you they could be, but we're never represented that way in film. No. If you go, I need a carpenter, they got a dude. Well, here, it, here's the proof is in the pudding. And some folks who are old enough might remember this. Don't you remember there used to be a riddle that the whole essence oh, of yeah. it being a the riddle. Doctor. Yeah. Was that. I can't work on this person. It's my son. Right. And you could never figure it out. And then you realize, oh, my God, the doctor is a woman. Right. Like, how antiquated does that seem now? <laughs> right. right. But it was a real thing back then. And so, yes, you're talking about uh, a day and age where. Um, the father and son, uh, the father dies. That's established in the riddle. In right. case no one's heard it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. A father and son are in an accident. The father dies. The, fa- the kid is brought to the hospital. And the doctor says, I can't work on this person. It's my son. And the the answer to the riddle is you misogynist asshole. The doctor is a woman, <laughs> right? And uh, so that's that kind of paints the uh, the picture of the environment that we're in at the time that this movie was made, and and how it does take some some real genuine ballsy leaps as far as saying you know we're not going to relegate ourselves to these stereotypes and we're going to kind of blow those out of the water. Yeah, and at the Rita same May time, Brown was very left. Like she was. Oh, yeah. She was a she was in now. She ended up leaving now because even then now was like, well, we're n- we're not really for gay ladies though. And she was like, fuck <laughs> you guys. Right. And she's someone who has probably lived her life as a gay woman, but doesn't like never admitted to that. Like never like defined herself as that label. She's a very cool, per- very progressive for the '80s. Like insanely progressive. Just like why call me gay? Like I'm just. I just live my life and I, I spend my time with who I like to spend my time with. Like, right. Who cares? Well, and that's that's why I think when you watch this movie and you see this this uh, blatant and, and often used nudity throughout the film, I don't think that it ever gives the impression of being sort of sinister or or slimy or scuzzy. It's it's actually the, the best word that I can think for it is clinical. Um, because there's this extended shower scene early on in the film. And, um, you know, if you were to, to be exploitive, you know, you would maybe throw in some dramatic lighting. You would up the, you know, some sort of perceived sexiness factor. No, in this scene, you see a girl just sort of like roughly scrubbing her ass. <laughs> right. You yeah, know, it's after and, a basketball game. Right. You know, they're sweaty. They probably stink a little bit. Now they're scrubbing their asses. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's boobs and butts galore. But um, but it's not presented in any sort of creepy, like peeping Tom sort of way. No. Even though it is, I'm, I mean, I have to be fair, it is blatant. I mean, that, that camera is panning up and down and, you know, giving you exactly what you're looking for. And uh, But you know what? Again, I, I think it's, I would have a hard time believing that anybody was genuinely offended by this because it is, it just seems more fun than anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not trying to be creepy. Um, so... With with uh, one of the more fun aspects of this movie, uh, aside from from everything we've been talking about, is that it has a nice, simple setup. Yeah. Um, 
don't get me wrong. Everybody loves a nice, intricate backstory, um, you know, that dates back 25 years ago. But you don't need that. And, and that's really what these slasher films established. Even if you look at Halloween, I mean, there really isn't a backstory here at all. That kid's just flat out batshit crazy, crazy yeah. and he kills his sister. Here's our movie. Yeah. And, and this movie doesn't really add a whole lot more than than that. We we know that there is an escaped convict, um, and we know that some young girls are gathering together to have a slumber party. Here's your movie. And so it, it really doesn't cloud anything up with any sort of complicated or convoluted plot line. Yeah. He's not – there's no personal vendetta. There's no relationship between Russ Thorne, our villain – and these girls it's just he happens upon them right so so there's wrong not, place wrong time it's not really a it's it's not really backstory heavy what it it might be leaning more towards is just the idea of the departure uh from childhood and that's very clearly a very thinly veiled uh metaphor shown early on in the film when um uh, Trish, who is the host of the slumber party, is getting dressed in her room in the morning, and you find her sort of inexplicably, but okay, maybe she's just clearing out some clutter, gathers together some old toys and dolls, and then we see her throw them away into the trash. So very early on, we uh, were given as viewers the idea that these girls are now about to take a step from childhood into adulthood, yeah. and it's coming It's fast. like as we, the audience see her change her clothes she also is seeing it for the first time in her life going oh i'm a woman now yeah time and to get rid of these dolls off my shelf they really take their time with that scene too, they do. don't they they do well <laughs> right who's it's got cool. a lot of energy in the morning right exactly it's <laughs> a good point um and uh and wouldn't it just be nice just to roll out of bed and just literally just slip a a one-layer dress over yourself yeah with just some underwear on yeah I mean, that looks nice yeah you know i i envy that um, but uh, but I would yeah. trade all my other privilege for that. <laughs> right, right. So, um, so yeah, folks. I mean, it, we're talking about a real, real simple, easy setup. Um, we get an in- introduction to some really fun characters and some really, as we were talking about earlier, uh, sort of flip flopping of stereotypes early on. Um, the first kill of of the film is uh, one of those examples where we have a, what would you call that, a telephone person? Yeah, it looks like she was doing some uh, repair work or installation work. Yeah. She works for the phone company. Yeah, she's at the school. She's doing some work. And, uh, you know, there's we get an introduction to the male characters, which, like I mentioned before, they're just sweet, harmless guys. I mean, they're they're goofy, they're... You know their hormones are raging, but at the end of the day, they're they're just sweet dudes. Yeah, you know, and they try to hit on this uh, telephone repair. Well, person. one of them. Well, one of them does. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Jeff. It's Jeff and Neil. Jeff and Neil, and uh, Jeff is hitting on her, right? Right. And Neil is there in hopes that he gets rejected and he can pick up the pieces. Yeah, exactly. Of Jeff. <laughs> yeah, and that's and it is very much not at the forefront of. Uh, the uh, identity of these characters, but by God, if anything was ever obvious, it's that Neil <laughs> wants Jeff in the worst way, in the best way. So, um, so yeah, so that you know, uh, you've got these these younger guys hitting on this uh, repair person, and then we get our first kill, which not only gives us our first kill, 
but it gives us something, and we'll probably talk about this even more unless we talk about it right now. Do it. I want you to bring up, Andy, the what we're about to see in that van. This this uh, this murder takes place in the repair van and yeah. the work work truck. She gets yanked in. Yeah, and there is a certain instrument that is used. And not only is this instrument used as a, as a form of, of murder, but it sort of carries a really heavy weight throughout the rest of the movie. And not only that, the franchise. And, and talk about that a little bit. Oh, just about how it's like uh, franchise-wise. Normally you are following a killer, Jason or Freddy or Michael Myers. Uh, but So this has three. There are th- two sequels three total slumber party movies which all just seem to it's the more the mode of of uh, death which in this van he finds a very large i'm gonna say three foot power drill um and so that drill seems is the catalyst now that brings us through the 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 sequels uh it's not you know russ thorne doesn't come back or you know hillbilly bob Whatever we're gonna cover the second one someday. That one right. is a different beast. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, it's like the uh, even you could say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But and while yes, I think it's because it's in the title that carries. But it's still there though that character of Leatherface or whatever and, and is the family what carries. Yeah, and the family. Um, but yeah, these are all. While one and two do have a character bridge, it is not through the death or the killing it's just a, another character that carries over into the other movie using a drill and and that's that's what makes it so interesting because it's a pretty blatant metaphor yes. right for for male um dominance uh for you know uh just this phallic image of what can we use to to sort of mirror that evil penis yeah you know which is where i feel like that idea of a parody is trying to come through, but it's yeah. like, no, you are making a commentary. Yes. Right. Uh, but yeah. But isn't that interesting? And, and, and this was something that I have seen these movies a million times. And it was really Andy that brought it up that it is the only franchise that we can think of where it seems to be, uh, you know, sort of dominated by the actual murder tool um, as opposed to the character. So I thought, I thought that was a really great point. And it's true. he, uh, Russ Thorne, oh, by the way, uh, the name of our our antagonist here, finds himself. I, I, and I don't know what this drill bit would be used for normally. I mean, yeah, you're or right, why a, a telephone repair person would have it <laughs> exactly. But it's there. Maybe if you got to put a line through a house, you drill through maybe, their house. I maybe. guess. Yeah, if they have you know like a wall that's three feet wide. Yeah, I mean maybe. But um, so that, I'd be surprised if every truck was outfitted with one of these though. But we don't know he got it from the truck. It's just there. It's Maybe just there. he carried it there. I suppose could be. Who knows? But yeah. Who knows? So, um, so now we're introduced to uh, our first murder, which comes pretty quickly, and we're introduced to our our uh, our mode of killing this this phallic. Yeah, he drills her in the drill. back of the van. Right. He yes, he very much. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. So uh, the 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 action takes uh, takes place from there, and it's and it's pretty quickly gotten into there's it's established that there is this pre-existing group of friends and in addition to this group of friends there's also another girl by the name of valerie now she's not really part of the old gang right well they're all on the same basketball team there is a scene where they play basketball 
that also seems like a parody of people who play basketball because it looks like these people have never touched a basketball in their lives. Every like dribble is chest height. Uh, there are some terrible shots taken. There's yeah. one that's so far off, and oh dang! Well, no, I can't believe I, I missed that one. I've said this before. There, the, the basketball shot that Andy's referencing is. You would think if I told you what would be the worst thing that you could do if you were shooting a basketball at a hoop, you'd probably say that you missed the whole thing altogether, right? Air ball. No. This ball hits the backboard, but somehow is so awful of a shot that it's worse than if you had completely missed the whole apparatus altogether. It yeah. is absolutely hysterical watching these girls play basketball. And it's Which, not, not a short scene either. No, it's a pretty lengthy scene. And and the a funny part, or a, a little funny anecdote, was I was watching a, an interview with um, uh, 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 the director, uh, Amy Holden, Amy Holden Jones. Jones. Thank you. And she was talking about uh, when she was getting involved in film, she was in MIT, and MIT's film department had uh, uh, the guy who created Cinema Verite. So as she's describing this, and and it flashes up on the screen the definition of Cinema, Ver- cinema uh, Verite, and it's like uh, the truth in cinema. And it, it immediately cuts to that basketball scene as they're showing that. I was like... Come on. This is very honest about how terrible they are. Right. It is. It is very honest about the fact that none of these actresses are professional basketball players. Yeah. Um, But yeah. So all those girls are having a sleepover. They try to get Val to come. She seems a little shy. She's like, no, thanks. Um, But uh, so we're mainly focused now on these four because it's four girls. Yeah. One of them that's supposed to be five. Right. Yeah. Yeah, And one of them. uh, Russ gets out of the van. He kills her. Great, great setup. Good suspense in this kill. Well, let's yeah, let's talk about that a little bit because for but not too much. For you're right, <laughs> but for for all of the the silliness that we've talked about, you know, so far in 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 this movie and the fun. I shouldn't say silliness. I should say fun. Um, one thing that is is undeniable about this movie is that it does a wonderful job of setting up tension. And uh, just general chills uh, as a viewer or for the viewer. Um, this kill that we're talking about, the, the second kill that takes place in the high school. Uh, now, I haven't timed it exactly, but that sequence has got to be. And, and for a film, this it might not sound like a long period of time that I'm about to say. But when you're talking about taking out, what was it, probably eight minutes? You know, when, when he's hunting or down, I mean, throughout the oh, whole segment. Oh, I don't segment. think it's that long. But it's it's lengthy. Though. Yeah, it is. It, I mean, it it's is. extended, and and that's the especially beauty. for an early kill like that. Yeah, and that because they do it is not they do not hide who the guy is. Like you, boom, you see him right away. Right. There's no question or mystery behind who is doing these things. And I gotta say, I I enjoy that. I mean, I, not that I don't like a good mystery, but it's kind of fun that we know right away who's the bad guy, and I you know who's he gonna get next. Yeah. So that's that's the tension that's created in the movie, and. Um, but it is—it's not necessarily done carelessly. It's actually done very thoughtfully, um, with these long, extended uh, periods of even silence. Silence is really well used in this movie, um, where you have a lot of of really nice musical scoring as well. That is also really well used, and it's a really nice example of that early '80s kind of proto. Uh, uh, synth synth yeah that sort of driving beat that that thing that um that stranger things is sort of building off of uh you know to such great success now but 
but there's also a great use of silence and, and a great use of tension. So um, we, we move beyond the, the, the setup kills, um, and now we, we get ourselves to, to the slumber party. And what's really fun about, about this film at that point is that it, it doesn't jump then right into the killings. We get a nice setup with the slumber party. The girls are making some snacks. They're smoking some weed. And we get a really fun introduction to a supporting character. My favorite. <laughs> By the name of, and I'm, when I say name, put put some quotes around that. By the name of Mister Content, which I'm a name that's never been uttered. No, before. no, I, I not, and I'm a, I'm a student of that kind of thing. I've never heard of any culture that has the name Content. But this is a neighbor of Trish's who has been asked by her parents to watch over her while they're gone. Um, you know, by the way, we I don't know if we mentioned that or not, but the slumber party is taking place at Trisha's house while her parents are away on a vacation. Yeah. Mr. Content has been told to watch over the girls, and he's this sort of like, I mean, maybe in the beginning you think he's a little creepy, a little just... Uh, yeah. Yeah, because he never just You like, say that like you're going to say he doesn't end up being creepy. <laughs> No, you're right. He's always creepy. Yeah. Because he can never, like, knock on a door and announce himself. Oh, no, he loves sneaking up on you. Yeah. I mean, this guy, it's like, you know, that scene in... Uh, he knows Trisha's alone and has let himself into her home and is upstairs rummaging around, checking on everything. Right. This guy is does everything short of that scene in Rambo First Blood Part 2 where Rambo is covered in mud and then his eyes open up right. and he jumps out. Like, this guy just loves to sidle up on people. But you know what? He's the cool neighbor. He he finds them with the quote-unquote Maui Wowie yeah. that they're about to indulge in. And he kind of lets it slide, you know? Yeah, and, he's uh, no narc. Yeah, he's no narc. He's, he's like, but, hey, you don't tell on me, I don't tell on you. Yeah, he's a creepy non-narc. Right. <laughs> but, the best uh, type of neighbor. Right, right. So um, we get it. But but as viewers, we, what I love about this, this uh, portion of the film is that we get a really nice thorough setup into the slumber party without it being sort of cluttered with senseless kills. Because if if you're, you're going to make a slumber party movie, you want it to feel like you're at the slumber party, right? So the girls dump snacks into, into bowls, and they talk about boys, and they crack open beers, and they smoke a little weed, and you really feel like you're right there with them. This movie does a great job of inviting you in to this fun, exciting little sleepover that these, you know, attractive women are having. Yeah. And they are attractive. They are attractive. And uh, there's a there's a bit, because Jeff and Neil are like, oh, let's crash their sleepover. And uh, those two show up and don't announce their presence right away. They peep in the window just in time to see everyone change in the living room. Email us at slumberpodcast, mass, uh, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. If that is something you've done, ladies, just everyone changed clothes at your slumber party in the living room. Yeah, I'm not saying that somebody spilled something on themselves and then had to change no, their shirt. No, just getting ready for bed. I need to know, we need to know, is that just what you do? How casual is you it? Just, you, just, you just change your clothes in front of each other in That's kind of like a fun, like exciting way? Like. Yeah. Um, it's probably pretty mundane for them, but uh, but Jeff and Neil, well, at least Jeff. one of them. Yeah, Jeff is Jeff <laughs> is realizing he has discovered his kink and it's peeping. Like yeah, he 
is having the time of his life. And he, they almost get caught. They empty an ashtray out the window. And his eyes have never been more alive than yep. that second when he's like, oh, my God, we almost got caught. Right. And, but he's Neil, loving- are you as hard as me? Yes. <laughs> yep, for different reasons. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, <laughs> so here we have the introduction of the guys, the boys, into the party. So now we, we don't just have the girls. We have the we have the original crew uh, having their sleepover, which, by the way, it's kind of set up as like, um, hey, let's have an old time sleepover party like we used to have before yeah. we got boyfriends and everything else. Let's do it just us girls. Well, it it like it never goes. Uh, it, it doesn't go that way. Somebody's got to bring the boyfriend over and leave yeah. it up to the to the bad girl character to uh, to want to bring her boyfriend over. So now we've we're, we're kind of like. Descending on this party with some multiple characters. We got the four original girls. Yeah. We got the two guys. We've got a boyfriend of the John Minor. John The Minor. only <laughs> other full name. Yeah. There are two people who get a first and last name. Well, I guess I guess uh who's the Trish? She would because they They mentioned the last name of the family. Yes. Yeah. But they never refer to her as a full name. Right. But John Minor is never called John. It's John Minor. Yeah, John Minor. And um, Russ Thorne. Yeah, it's like if he's a minor character, you don't have to tell us that <laughs> right. he's a minor character, literally, yeah. by naming him that. They but, cut out Tony Bit. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, along with all of this, uh, and, and, you know, I'm telling you, folks, this is exactly what got us into trouble the first time around when we were reviewing this. It's really hard to not give a play-by-play of this movie because it's so much fun to watch. But just to paint the scene, across the street, you have Val. Next door. No, or next, I'm sorry. Yeah. Next door. You're right. Next door, you have Val, the shy girl who was originally invited to the party, but she overheard some of the other girls talking about her, kind of making fun of her a little bit, even though she's stunning. Um, And so she's just at her house, content to be a homebody like usual, yet she's got this little firecracker of a sister named Courtney. Who's point in the movie is only related to Val. Like, she has nothing really else to do with anything. Right. And it's such a cool character. Like, I love... She's my favorite character oh, in the yeah. movie. Yeah. Easily. And and uh, so you've got Val, who is sort of kind of... She's already resigned herself to dismiss the slumber party. Uh, she's decided not to go. And you've got this this just upstart of a, of a sister, maybe a handful of years younger than her, who is just boy crazy mm-hmm. and very wants, curious. Oh yes. What's yeah. happening to her body? Yes. Um, to the point of a uh, Sylvester Stallone covered issue of Playgirl, which that's another good question. Girls. Did, did you really look at Playgirl yeah, back then? I did not know that was meant. for. And women. did you, did you seductively eat a banana whilst <laughs> you did? Um, that's that's another question, um, but anyways, uh, that this movie answers apparently that, yeah. that you did. It just yeah, um, very but, casual. <laughs> but now we've got our setup. Now we're 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 you know singularly focused on our slumber party, um, and we have our our players intact. So from here on out, it's it's Russ Thorne. Uh, working his way into the slumber party, infiltrating, and now we're starting to get some kills. Yeah. Which, uh, the best one, I don't know if it's the best one. He's, because he's already killed John Minor and his girlfriend, who is, I forget her name. Diane? Diane. 
who uh yeah i do like her the more i think about her i know she's just like you can she, tell a pain in the ass and it's yeah. just probably not worth it but just damn if i don't want to find cat. out if it is yeah I yeah. feel like I could fix her. Right, uh, right, right. Yeah. She's almost, she's like facially, she's not as pretty as the rest of the girls, but she's just got that like just sort of spunk to her. Yeah. She could probably get anyone with a look right. more than the other girls could. And it's used to great effect uh, in her death scene where we get probably the most thinly veiled metaphor of the drill where we have a really nicely framed shot from behind Russ Thorne, our killer. So where the camera's behind him, we're looking through his legs. Yeah, she slid down the wall crying. Yeah. Now we see the drill sort of hanging down from his midsection. Yeah, and she's and, uh, looking up. Yeah, if ever you, you know, didn't see the metaphor before <laughs> then, it's it's obvious now. Yeah. And um and it kind of brings it brings up an element um that's consistent throughout this movie, which for for uh, all of its fun, when actors and actresses are in genuine moments of peril in this movie, uh, you buy it hook, line, and sinker. I mean, th- yeah. these are some really great performances. Um, it's not just a silly screen. A lot of these cream. people were cast on their scared face. Yeah, yeah, and it and it shows. Um, they uh, and Diane being one of them. I mean, really genuinely terrified in these uh, these murder sequences. Which leads us to one particular murder sequence, um, and we're, we're, we're kind of jumping around here, folks, but there's, there's just too much to cover right. everything. Yeah. But um, If we go in order, it'll be two hours again. There, there is a really nicely handcrafted murder scene of Neil. Yeah. And uh, we're just sort of jumping ahead here, but I, I feel okay doing this because... Again, I can't I can't overstate how simple of a setup this movie is, and it's what makes it yeah. so great. You've got again deranged killer slumber party. He's killing them off. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, at this point they know there's a killer, right? So Neil's gone for help. And and by the way, when there, there's a scene, I, I just I have to touch on this scene for a second. It's the first scene that we know as viewers, and that the the actors and actresses of the characters are aware of the fact that there is a killer. It's a very small kind of hushed tone scene where they're just sort of kneeling down and figuring out what can we do to get out of this. And they're trying to come up with a plan. And I'm telling you, I mean, it, it, you can hear it in the tone of my voice. It's, it's a very, very affecting real scene where you've got these young kids that are like, holy shit, what do we do? How do we, how do we live? How do we survive? And it's handled very delicately and it's very nice. So the boys decide to split up, um, and uh, it, and it's almost kind of sad when they do. So yeah. you kind of know, yeah, they've been together the whole movie, right? And that means a lot to one of them. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> they're they're going to split up. And so when Neil dies, uh, without taking you, you know, frame by frame, Amy Holden Jones does a, a, an excellent job of interweaving some media. Uh, that's happening inside of Val's house. I wonder how much of a hand she had in editing this. Since she's got an editing background, you know. You, you would have to yeah. believe that it would be pretty heavy yeah. in this. Uh, or at least I would think. So, so we have a, a horror film uh, being watched in a house while a murder is taking place outside of the house. And there's a really, really genuinely uh, handcrafted scene uh, where we're sort of flashing 
back and forth between the image on the screen on in the on the television inside and the actual murder happening outside and i'm not really sure how to describe why that's so affecting but it it's i think it has to do with the element that help is right on the other side of that door yeah and he's so close to not dying if he can just get somebody to hear him on the other side of that door but he can't so it's yeah. it's just that much more tragic cuz it's ironically masked by the entertainment right his savior yeah it's it's covering up and it's a it's really great scene. yeah it's a great scene and and i the, the and it's why, it's there i mean there are some good shots and edits but this is a part where you're like whoa that make you go oh that would be in a good like a good movie right. someone would do that yeah and that's um that's something that we touched on earlier and it, that I, I can't say enough about this movie is that it's, it is definitely more than, than meets the eye. Um, so wait, speak- oh, so my favorite, okay. Sure, so sure. I was saying my favorite kill, and then we had to tangent a bunch. My favorite kill is the one where now everyone knows shit's going down. Yeah. And it's the, cause they've ordered pizza. <laughs> There's a part, they, they've gotten all this junk food out and it's like Trish then goes, Ooh, uh, you guys want pizza? Like, this food is terrible. <laughs> Uh, so they order pizza. So the pizza guy comes. Now I love the setup of this, where you know you hear the you only hear him through the door, uh, and they're like, uh, "How much is it?" And you pointed this out. This is a great catch. Um, they're like, "How much is it?" And he goes, six so far." And which there had been six kills so far, right. which is insane. Uh, then they open the door. Pizza guy standing there. Both eyes have been drilled out, and he falls forward in into the foyer there which i had to imagine as a dead body like russ thorn had to have said six so far and was like holding that guy like he gets to do like he loves playing a prank and right. i'm gonna make these kids think they're pizza guys here well and that's so he can, he's like running in the bush as he pushes him over right like i mean he's having fun with it right. you know i mean he's he's literally doing a like a ventriloquist <laughs> bit yeah um on the other side of the door and uh you know so so let's talk a little bit about that guy russ thorne okay it's not a name that elicits the same sort of reaction that freddy krueger does or jason Voorhees. so who is this dude well it's a good he sounds like a rough guy yeah and it played by a uh latino actor who was um classically trained uh at the uh it wasn't the actor's studio um uh, forgive me for forgetting right now, but but I mean a, a classically trained actor. Um, I think it was Lee Strasberg at, okay. at his institute. Yes. So uh, a classically right. trained actor who, I mean, he's putting a lot into this role. On the page, there's probably a not a lot there, but in an interview that I I saw with him, he's talking about how he was even using some. Um, some animalization techniques where he's applying what he saw Russ Thorne as as being a peacock, right. which doesn't really shine Does through, not come through very clearly at all. But obviously, this is an actor that's thought a lot about this, and it's a character that is really unique in the slasher canon because he is, um, at least in his mind, kind of seductive. Yeah. And there's a moment where he is very close to killing Trish, and we get this sort of, and I think this is a moment where, where that feminist uh, idealism is sort of shining through. I think it's kind of a comment on some 
toxic masculinity uh, at that time. And that is Russ Thorne is saying things like, you know you want it. Uh, I'm doing this because I love you. Yeah. It takes a lot of love to do this to somebody. And look what I'm doing for you. Right. Why aren't you going to reciprocate that? To right. Me? Exactly. Classic I, nice yeah, guy. Exactly. Like I love you. Why won't you let me do this? Yeah. You know. So we're talking about obviously a very disturbed individual here, but um, but he's he's really really unique. Um, but the thing is, he's not some sort of like personality less masked killer just you know stomping through the streets or the woods because at the end of the film when the girls are now fighting back and they do very much fight back yeah he almost gets well sort of metaphorically neutered yeah and he turns into kind of a pussy (laughs) screams a lot for lack of better word i mean he really goes from being this like i'm gonna impose my desires on you i'm gonna i'm going to assume what your desires are you know you want this to literally once they slice his drill bit in half with a machete with a machete trish is able to (laughs) cut through that steel with sharp steel right so she's emasculated him you know both metaphorically and, and probably in his mind completely and um yeah he really just turns into like a screaming like helpless yeah. little dude you can see the the look on his face is uh it's over right and then she cuts off his hand which to add insult to injury right yeah exactly like taking all sexuality out of this character right yeah you're, you're just really taking all those those weapons away yeah <laughs> right. he, he doesn't have much to work with at this point um so so what are you what are you left with here in this final scene because like like Andy and I have been talking about, it's such a simple setup. It's such a, a simple plot line. What sort of climax can you really work up to? But I'm telling you, it's it's a massive one. And this movie was made in, in 82. And there are times when that, that timeliness of that era shine through. And it's pretty frequent. I mean, you know you're not watching a, a new movie. Right. But there's something about that final sequence... Uh, when they're outside of Trisha's house in the backyard and and the shit has completely hit the fan and they're really doing battle now with Russ Thorne and it, it takes on a real immediate, almost handheld camera feel um, and uh, it's it's really exciting. And it almost, in in that moment, there's there's a couple frames where it really feels like the filmmaking in this movie sort of transcends all of those slashers of of the early 80s yeah and uh and that's that's uh that's something that if, if you take anything away from this cast uh that, that we've done here on this movie it's that there's some quality here that is not typical of of the slew of movies that were rushed out after the popularity of halloween this being one of them um but there is a craftsmanship here that is above and beyond yeah yeah there was great care put into this there are there are like there's one shot uh someone's coming into the house and it kind of pans around the staircase i think it's when russ thorne comes in so that would normally be a shot where you're like oh that's someone watching but no it's just kind of this weird established for that creepy character um yeah like i was very surprised at how well made it was even though there are some poorly made moments <laughs> right right it's still a low budget uh, early 80s film I mean, uh, right you can't get around that stuff 
No, and and but but at the same time, it does have those redeeming qualities of um, some inventive kills. Um, you're not you're not short on on body count in this movie. No. I mean, it's it's not as prolific as as some others. But um, by the time we get to to the end of the film, what what I really like about it is that it's willing to sacrifice so many characters that you would think might make it. Um, you know, there's some characters that have held on for a really long time that you've grown attached to. This film has the the willingness to say, not you know, they're not going to quite make it, right? You know, and and the body count stacks up from there. So, how how do you watch this movie then? What, what as a viewer, if you've never seen this movie before, what what's the level of expectation here? And I know I've I've been saying this word repeatedly, but it's it's fun. Yeah. I, I'm, my God, guys. It, I can't tell you how much fun this movie is to watch. Um, you know, despite the fact, or not despite the fact that it's well made, in in accompaniment with that, you've got that humor shining through, whether it's intentional or not. So yeah, yeah, there are some bits in this. Oh, like yeah. there's uh, one where Val is in the basement looking for a weapon. She and Courtney have come and they've checked out. They realize something's up. They found a dead body. They have to split up because they see a shadow. So now Val's down in the basement. And she's trying to find a weapon. She finally finds this uh, handheld circular saw. She's like, this is going to do the job. Goes charging up the stairs with it. Well, gets pulled back because it's plugged into the wall. And there's a real like womp womp moment yeah. as she's sitting on the steps. No, it's slapstick is all get out. Um, and yeah, that's one of the more obvious moments. Thankfully, there are two hooks that were put up specifically to hold up a machete right? that she makes uh, you know, good use of. Because uh, when you're in suburban Fresno right. or wherever they are, right. that's the other thing. Everyone's got to have a machete ready. They're in, uh, they're in uh, Venice. Venice, okay. And, um, and boy, does that really show through. Like a lot of times when, when so many films are being made, or at least at this time in California, um, Halloween, for example, went to great lengths to not look like it was made in California um, to the point where uh, they even had bags of leaves that they were throwing out on the lawn and then rebagging it and taking it <laughs> to the next scene. This movie doesn't really try to hide the fact that it's California. You no. see those big, beautiful, tall palm trees in the distance. Yeah. The, you know, you have some of the California accents. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely not trying to hide where it's from. No. And um, and it's it does make an excellent companion piece to the second film, which uh, we will say for uh, another podcast. We can talk about it for a second, though. If you but want. it it does it does lead into uh, into the second film with mainly with the character of Courtney. Yeah. Um. So. So the you, kid sister is the carryover, right? Because she survives, right? And sadly, uh, you know, uh. uh, uh I, I hate to I hate to have to say it, but the actress who played Val uh, in the uh, in the original in the Slumber Party Massacre uh, unfortunately took her own life um, and and perished. Um, I, I believe it was pretty shortly after the uh, the Slumber Party Massacre was made, so she was not able to carry on naturally with the franchise. But uh, the character of Courtney is, although it's played by a different actress, right. Crystal Bernard, Crystal from Wings, yeah, and and it's so adorable because it's she's it's got to be one of her first roles as yeah. an actress, and she's got that thick whatever accent it is that she's got that southern accent, yeah, that southern accent, and uh, and it's it's really endearing. And I will say it is. 
striking where just someone at Crystal Bernard's level where you go, oh, wow, there's an actor after the uh, people in this. They're not great. Right. You know, but it's like crazy watching then just like someone like Crystal Bernard who was in a show and I've never thought about her again. (laughs) Right. Where you're like, oh, what a new level this person brings to this movie. Exactly. And and um, it's I wanted to mention the second movie briefly just because I, I would have a hard time thinking of another two films that go so great together. I mean, maybe Godfather 1 and Godfather <laughs> oh my, 2. Let's okay. slow down. <laughs> this is but, maybe Jaws and Jaws 2. Right. Okay. 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 Right. You have a... Standard classic, yeah. and then like, what a fun kind of twist on that. If Jaws two was absolutely like psychopathically crazy, True, yes. yeah, um, and that is the if second. If the movie. kids manifested the shark through their own fears and anxieties, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's very. I feel very confident in saying if you haven't seen Slumber Party Massacre two, uh, you have never ever, and nor will you ever see a movie quite like that. No, so, that's true. The two together make a beautiful companion piece, especially if, let's say, you don't want to go out. You don't want to go out to the bar. You don't want to go out to the club. You just want to stay in. You want to watch some movies, and you want to have fun. I have recommended it probably hundreds of times. Slumber Party Massacre and Slumber Party Massacre 2, two perfect movies to watch back-to-back right. and just have the time of your life. Three is right out. Yeah. Don't Don't, waste your don't even bother. Don't even, yeah, similar to The Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, Yes, that one is. Right. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that, that works. I, yeah, I found my connection there. So um, also Jaws three. Right. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah. We just oh, keep going with this. Um, but uh, but no, this this movie really does stand out in a sea of of mediocrity uh, that was coming out at that point. Now, don't get me wrong, I love that mediocrity. Um, but uh, but this one really does have a, a sense of style and craftsmanship. That... And this did well, didn't it? When it was, I mean, it was still a very small release. Well, but... f- f- yeah, for the release it was given, it did very well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think it did well for Amy Holden Jones. I think she went on to to have a nice career um, and uh, directed some some larger budget movies with a lot more recognition. So yeah, I mean, it 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 was it was always well received. It just wasn't. As widely known, I guess. Yeah, it does it. not carry the kind of uh, franchise name. longevity and yeah name recognition that right. a lot of other ones do. But I feel it's one where you say it and people know it, but they haven't seen it. Well, I, I love the title of of the film, but I think it, it almost hurts it as much as it helps it. That when people hear Slumber Party Massacre or The Slumber Party Massacre, um, they automatically have some preconceived notions and they maybe sort of dismiss it as um just kind of cheap slasher entertainment right um so i i love the i love the title i do i don't, I don't think they could have picked a better one huh. but you think um, the title is uh, supposed to be like a postmark like that's what the media would have called this event after it happened you know what i'm saying Ooh, yeah like if if they have to assign a sort of title yeah. to the event yeah Ooh, that's an I never thought about that. Yeah, I just thought of that. But um no, thank it, God but, we did this twice. Right, no. <laughs> <laughs> the, the beautiful part of it is that you, you you're certainly not questioning what the movie's going to be about. <laughs> no, you know? yeah, no. It pretty much tells you. And uh But yeah, I think that's probably something that deterred me when I was younger cuz yeah, it's just like I don't know if I'm ready for a massacre. Like Right. I can yeah. handle if it was just called like some people die at a slumber party, yeah. I might have been like, yeah. Yeah, I go to slumber parties. <laughs> right. I don't want to be massacred, <laughs> Right. you know. How many people are at the slumber party? Yeah, of course that didn't stop me though. Uh, I did, <laughs> I did very much watch it, and uh, but you know what? This is one of those, and and I, uh, not to get off on a short tangent here, but 
this is one of those movies where I saw the first one after I saw the sequel, um, oh. which uh, I I don't know why it went that way, but it it, it seemed to go that way pretty often uh, back in the eighties when we were watching these. So, I mean, I, I would firmly suggest that you watch the first one prior to the second, but um, if you haven't seen either or both, it, yeah, it's uh, not to... gonna really hurt. You're not losing anything if you watch them out of order. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, I mean, if we're talking about recommendations here, if you, if you can't tell already. Uh, highly highly yeah. recommend this one it's a high recommendation from tim i also recommend it uh i saw i've seen it three times now which probably pales in comparison to tim's times um but yeah it's one i keep coming back to now and i i'm sure that is there is a heavy bias and because i've heard so much about it <laughs> through my life like it's impossible to avoid it um but yeah it is i had a good i liked it a lot the first time I saw it so much I was like let's watch two immediately afterwards right. which I was not planning on doing we weren't even planning on watching the first one by the way that was the the night of my life actually when I actually had a friend that said yeah I'll watch a horror movie yeah. with you and not only one but the, but the sequel immediately afterward is a really a high point in my life seriously it was St. Patrick's Day there were oh yeah you know yeah we were already in out of control mood. yeah um, all right cool well yeah so we both recommend it that was uh, the slumber party massacre Thanks for hanging out on the first episode, fourth one we've done. <laughs> yeah, it was technically the Slumber Party Massacre Part Two. Ooh, yes, about the Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like well, uh, like Andy said, it's already I, getting too complicated. I know, I know, but uh, I look for that to be sort of a hidden deep track somewhere further down the line. We'll uh, yeah, we'll release that up original. And we got a Patreon. We'll put that on the Patreon. Yeah, and shit like that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So tune in next week. Next week we're going to be covering uh, uh, Sleepaway Camp Two. We're going to jump right into the sequel on that one. Yep. We're going to do that a lot. We're just we're not. Uh, we decided to not do linear series because I think we can get in a you know you can get into a boring rut in some of them. So yeah, we trust you. Yeah, yeah we're, we're not going to spoon feed you. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to jump around. Right. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. I yeah. hope you enjoyed this. Uh, and, please uh, follow. We're going to do some little, little plugging. Please follow us on Instagram, uh, Slumber Podcast Massacre on in- Instagram. You can email us with questions and comments at slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe. I don't know. That's what people say. Um, you know, uh, thanks. We're just uh, getting this started out, and we hope it's uh, something you enjoy. We've enjoyed doing it. And, uh, yeah, that's it. We'll see you later, Timmy. See you, Andrew.